What's up? Happy Friday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, uh, of course, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from Rogers Arena and from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And you know it's going to be a big show uh, when, before we're even on the air, Drancer, the Dunbar Lumber text line is filling up with messages, which is what's been happening over the uh, previous few minutes before the show started. Because, yeah, it's a game day. The Canucks are going to play the defending Stanley Cup champs. But that's not what everyone's talking about. And when I say what oh, people are talking about. Is it Brad Hunt's return to Vancouver? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't just it's mean not? people in Vancouver are talking about the attention, really, of the hockey world captured by the Canucks this morning, and specifically there for now, head coach Bruce Boudreaux. We're going to run the audio, right? We're going to run the audio, are we but ready just to, to walk it? people through it. So Bruce spoke during his availability, he talked about Brad Hunt, he talked about the game, everything, right? I mean, the usual routine. Well, and I also want to set it up even right because – the Canucks have their normal game day skate here at Rogers Arena, right? And Jason Fully King runs it. Bruce Boudreaux not on the ice. And yeah. Our own Brendan Batchelor tweeted that. Other tweets saying, hey, Boudreaux's not on the ice. Now, this is paired with reports from insiders that coaching change is imminent, right? It could be announced any day now, I think was Dolly Wall's wording. Uh, Darren Dreger said it's coming to a head, right? So I texted him. I texted Bruce right away. You, you, you put all those together and there's, okay, what's going on yep. here? Bruce Boudreaux is still here. Bruce Boudreaux is still the coach. He gives his media availability. And you want to just run it now? Well, well, so it's about to end, and I sort of chime in and just ask, you know, and I know a couple things about Bruce Boudreaux. Number one, this ain't easy. And number two, this is a guy who loves the game and loves being a head coach. And just thinking about it from his perspective – and having been in a situation where you're working your last NHL games and the emotion that comes with it, I figured I'd, I'd just try and sort of check on how he was feeling about it. And, and so I, I asked the question. We go back and forth. It's, it's a little bit jokey for a minute. And then Gemma Karsten-Smith, our, our regular guest, has a, has a follow-up. And Bruce gets really emotional. I, I wasn't prepared for the emotion that he showed. But we'll run it for you guys so you can hear it. Um, pretty remarkable scene from morning skate at Rogers Arena today. Yeah, we'll play the full audio from Bruce Boudreaux. It's about five minutes just to give you give you a sense of it because there's some joking around, as you said earlier in it, uh, and just to give you kind of a full sense of the context of Bruce Boudreaux's comments. Here is the Canucks head coach. Well, I think it's it's not hard to get up against the Stanley Cup champions, and uh, anytime you, you don't get up, you're going to get blown out of the water. So, I mean, uh, the fear of losing is a great motivator. Um, uh, the fear of the, the enjoyment of playing against the best to challenge yourselves is is really important. So I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, I mean, the last three games actually from the one last year uh, that we've had success against them. But, I mean, in the end, if you can, if you can stop Nathan McKinnon, you're usually um, having a good, jo- good chance of, of stopping them. Bruce, there tends to be like a profile of team that this club, dating back years, can struggle to seem to fit that profile to a T with their speed, the puck-moving defense, and yet, for whatever reason, it seems like your club always has a lot of success against them, even plays clean games against them. 
Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, uh, it seems uh, there's some teams that we play our best against. And uh, uh, this group of players and maybe coaches uh, that uh, we get up more for a team like this. And uh, we'll see if we can do it again. It's a, you Do it once is, is great. To do it twice is really difficult. Uh, to do it three times uh, would be really tough. Now that they're starting to, they're getting in their playoff uh, mode right now. I mean, uh, they fell behind, and and the, their sense of urgency is is now. So I mean, uh, they're, they're playing really well, and uh, their leader is leading by example. So I mean, it'll be a tough task, but we'll see how we do. Are you expecting to have Dermot back in? I'm expecting it. Yeah. Brad Hunt's been. Well, he's a pretty good offensive defenseman. Um, he's uh, uh, when he was in the American League, he would be the best defenseman in the league as an offensive defenseman. He's got a great shot, and uh, uh, and he's a tremendous teammate. So I mean, uh, that's it's hard not to it's hard uh, not to see him not being liked by his teammates, and they want him in the lineup. So I mean, that's just the kind of personality that he has. Is that just his general positivity and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a kinship between you two because of the positive outlook that you both share based on your time in Minnesota and Vancouver? I don't know. I just, you know, actually it was before that John Anderson really liked him in Chicago and John Anderson's a very good friend of mine. So automatically before I met him, I had a like for him because of what John would say. And then uh, in, in many, he was, he was great. I mean, didn't play an awful lot. Then same thing here, you know, uh, when we got him from Vegas uh, in Mini, and then to here, it uh, uh, he's he, you know he's a, he's an older guy now. He's 34, 35 years old, and he and he still comes to the, the rink every day, feeling great, wanting to play. And so I mean, how you uh, and loving the game, and how you can't like a guy like that is beyond me. Bruce, Dakota had that magical night in San Jose with the two goals and the fight, and almost had the Gordie Howe hat trick. How, how much of a challenge is it for a fourth line guy? to sustain his five-on-five five play, not necessarily scoring, but but be the guy that doesn't get scored on, can forecheck hard. He talked a bit about it this morning, how hard it is to sustain that kind of thing. Well, it's it's difficult, but I think it's uh, uh, it's more difficult for younger guys that haven't done it before. And, I mean, he's in the American League. He's a top six forward, and, and, he's, and he's constantly playing. When you're in the third and fourth line so, and you're playing 10, 11 minutes a night, I mean, you really got to – it's a, it's a lot of a, is mental uh, a mental game where to stay involved in the game, especially when you're a bigger guy and you're sitting on the bench for maybe seven minutes at a time. And I think sometimes, like in Carolina, we were able to roll the lines. There wasn't a lot of penalties, and he gets involved more, and then it's an easier game for him. You know. Right. Thanks. First, with all the speculation that's been, <laughs> that's been around your club. Oh, okay. Um, how, how do you personally approach this? I don't know yet. I really, you know, I mean, I'd be a fool not to say that I don't know what's going on. But uh, um, I just, like I said before, you come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. No. It's, it's on the road, it's easier perhaps to shut out the noise. How, what do you tell the guys in terms of shutting out the noise at home? How much more of a challenge is that? Well, I didn't say anything today. I mean, uh, um, but... I mean, there might be things said tomorrow, but, you know, I mean, they know. I mean, you know, it's a, 
there's a lot of media here. I mean, that's, it's, uh, I mean, I've got my wife phoning me saying, you're not on the ice. Is everything okay? You know, like, I mean, so you guys are getting it out all over the, the country. So it's, 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 uh, it's tough not to, to, to feel it, but I mean, you just look at, you love it. You want to go do it. And so, I mean, that's, uh, that's the way I shut it out and, uh, is basically just, you know, just realizing how much you care about the game and the players and know what goes on. What'd you tell your wife? I said, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't go on the ice all the time, you know? Like, just, wow. Bruce, you get a little emotional just now. What does it mean to you to be a head coach in this league? I'll talk later. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. And as you heard towards the end, the emotion uh, and the, at the final question, building over the course of that interview, but then Bruce very understandably ending the availability uh, at that final question as the emotion got a little much. Well, and I want to address, you know, now you've heard the full clip, right? Yeah. And it is jocular throughout, right? I, I asked Bruce, given the speculation around you, right? Mm-hmm. What? What speculation, right? Like, he literally cuts me off. We're sharing a laugh, right? And then I ask a question, and it, and it sort of hits him in the solar plexus, right? He gets visibly a little bit choked up toward the end of his answer. And then he talks about his wife texting him, and we're blasting all this speculation and his presence on or off the ice out there, and we're laughing about it. And I come back with, what did you tell your wife? And we're laughing about it. And in the clip that's being shared widely on Twitter, and I'm glad it is, because I think it's a really revealing moment, but it is cut. So you lose that, you lose him joking with me about it at the start, Mm -hmm. and then you lose the jocular back and forth between him and me, him and the other media pool members in the middle. And then at the end, Gemma hits, hits him with one last follow-up about the emotion that he's shown. And I wasn't prepared for his response. And in that context, you know, honestly, his reaction, I, I suppose it made me a little bit uncomfortable, but more than that, I was preparing to telegraph for him like a sympathetic audience. I expected something a little more in line with his previous responses where it's like, yeah, this is hard for me, but I'm going to joke through it. I'm Bruce Boudreaux. I'm Mr. Positivity. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't quite prepared for it. Not a great clip for me, but also I think within the full context, now that you've heard the full audio, I don't think, I don't think the way that it's clipped that you're seeing on Twitter, if you're seeing it on Twitter and texting into the inbox, asking about us, which a lot of people are, I think you, I think you can begin to understand it from my perspective. By no means was I laughing at the man. In in any way, I was, in fact, doing quite the opposite. I just sort of miffed that moment. I mean, nervous laughter. It's a thing, right? It's a thing for a reason. Not that you're nervous, quote-unquote, right? But sometimes laughter is a response in unexpected Well, especially for me. I'm always laughing. Yeah. But but in that, in that scenario in particular, the tone of the conversation changed so rapidly, I wasn't quite ready for it. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And as I said... Uh, lots and lots of thoughts about Bruce Boudreau. What's happening with it, what's happening with the Canucks coming in right now? Marty the Red Texan. Bruce Boudreau did nothing to deserve this sort of mistreatment. I'm a Canucks diehard, but right now I really hate this team. I am sorry, Bruce. That's from Marty the Red. Surrey Ryan Texan. I better hear some damn loud chants of Bruce. There it is tonight, regardless of the score. That's from Surrey Ryan. I would certainly anticipate that, that that is in the cards. And, you know, it was interesting to hear Boudreaux kind of reference that he might talk to the players tomorrow because, of course, they do play here again tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers on a, a big hockey day, hockey night in Canada game. So 
there might be an opportunity for fans to get a Bruce there to chant up tomorrow as well. But, I mean, man, just what a what a strange situation. What a strange and very affecting media availability. But what really also struck me about the reaction was this was not just limited to Canucks fans, Canucks media, Canucks observers reacting to that, Drancer. I mean, this was the, across the hockey world. People seeing quotes from the availability, seeing the video and kind of stopping and saying, man, what on earth is going on here? What on earth is happening in Vancouver? And it really just, I I don't understand at all the logic for allowing it to get to this point when there were and have been and still are really other options rather than do this, rather than have days like that, have moments like that for your organization. Well, with the exception of, what, four days of Stan Smeal as, as interim general manager, we've really never seen this club have an interim at any point uh, since this ownership group took over. They just don't do it. You know, last year, between Stan Smeal and, and Brad Shaw, you could have saved Jim Benning and Travis Green weeks mm-hmm. worth of, of something similar. I mean, at this point, it's a habit for the organization to treat people poorly and and you know you come into this situation like could Bruce have done more for this franchise over 14 months than he did like from the low moment that was that Pittsburgh Penguins game and Brian Dumoulin personally fishing a Canucks jersey off the ice from that moment on there was a sense of confidence a sense of renewal around this organization that persisted what until October of this year Maybe September of this well, year. Well, yeah, and you could maybe even point to the year-end availability when the kind of cracks started to form and the yeah. questions about his future. Sure. But but you're even, right. Even through the offseason when they win the Kuzmenko Derby, yep. you know, on and on, there was a sense that this team had a shot. And if we're being totally honest, that sense was derived from Bruce specifically. It was. It was the Bruce there it is chance. It was the team's performance on the ice. You know, there weren't people who were, like, celebrating Mikhaev's arrival or the J.T. Miller contract absent the notion that the team could repeat what they'd done under Bruce, right? Like, it was Bruce's reflected confidence that the organization and management enjoyed in their first cycle, benefited from. So, I mean, I don't know that the most popular head coach this market has seen since Pat Quinn could have done more for this club over 14 months. And, and I think what we've sort of come to is the big question, which is why does everyone associated with this organization end up leaving with their humanity challenged, right? And their reputation diminished. You know, at some point, it's a bigger problem than, than, than Bruce. It's, I mean, it's a huge problem that, that we're at the point where people are discussing the treatment of a coach in terms probably unseen since Gerard Gallant. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. But I also think it's symptomatic of a wider problem, which is for, for 15, 20 years. I mean, well, it, 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 like it, it extends to Dave Nonis. It extends to Mike Gillis. It extends to Alain Vigneault. It extends to Newell Brown twice. It extends, you know, to Travis Green, to Jim Benning, to... To Jim Benning's lieutenants. I, you know. Trevor Linden. Tre- oh, my God, Trevor Linden. So, you know, at, at some point, it's 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 about Bruce, and it's unacceptable. But it's also an even bigger problem, which is actually s- scarier 
than this being an isolated thing. You know, in some ways, that's even tougher to swallow or should be for Canucks fans. Yeah, this is the most drawn out, most public, most kind of galling example of it. But I mean, I would even point to now, not that, you know, sometimes often the problem with the Canucks has been they've been too willing to retain players. But I would even point to the Bo Horvat situation, right, as a guy that you drafted and developed and your captain. And there's no sense that you know, he's going to take a, a team-friendly contract or anything to stay with you because you haven't created that environment. You haven't created that environment where people, one, are able to kind of flourish and, and really get the most of their abilities and, and where people want to stay. And I think it's very striking that we're talking about, and we'll get to the Bo Horvat discussion at some point in the show, but it's very striking that we're talking about these two things at once, right, where you kind of have to look at it and just say, how did it get to this point? Uh, Keith texts in, I can move past bad trades and signings, but treating Bruce as the team has been is almost changing my tune. Absolute Bush League. Bruce deserves the best. That one is from uh, Keith. Minor Matt Abbotsford says, I really hope this isn't the last kick at the can for Bruce. That's another part of this story, right? We don't know. I mean, even before he was hired here in Vancouver, it wasn't clear if Bruce Boudreau was going to get another shot as an NHL head coach, that's even more uncertain now as well, right? So for a guy who's been a lifer, who has such an incredible resume, but a, hasn't a had a thousand success, plus games, but only has Scotty Bowman has a higher point percentage. Yeah. He's won the Jack Adams. Yeah, but hasn't but hasn't had that success in the playoffs he wants. That's a tough part of the story as well, right? Like will these will these be the last couple of games for Bruce Boudreau behind uh, an NHL bench as a head coach? We don't know, but it's, well, it's well, a question. Well, you hope a tremendous career doesn't end like this. I'll tell you that much. I think I think every Canucks fan, regardless, I mean, it could be Chicago, it could be one of the Alberta teams, it could be the Maple Leafs, it could be Boston, and I think Canucks fans would be rooting for Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah. Um, lots more texts coming in, and again, you know, I we we started talking about the Boudreaux situation, where it was going. I mean, obviously, we started talking about it in the summer and in the spring after we heard from Rutherford and Alvin, but really picked up after the team got off to another disastrously slow start in the fall, in October and November, and even back at the time, you know, one, I was raising the question of why on earth is a interim coach not a realistic option? As you said, it just hasn't been whatsoever for reasons I don't fully comprehend for this ownership group. And the other thing is just start acting like a first-class organization, right? And that's not what we've seen play out with Bruce Boudreaux. And you had opportunities. This was not some intractable puzzle. I get that there's the catch concerns. But, I mean, even if they had gone to, you know, interim coach Mike Yo three weeks ago, okay, that's three weeks of giving Mike Yo a, some sort of pay bump, but not a massive one. I don't, I don't buy that. That's a oh, financial cause that you can't do that. Well, I mean – there's no excuse at this point. And, and I mean, still to this day, does it still to this day, it doesn't make sense to me given the pointed commentary about Boudreaux, why the Canucks wouldn't like, there were mutual options. Like, why did no one exercise their option? I still don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> like the Canucks could have let him be free. I guess, you know, you might've been on the hook for, for some of the salary if he hadn't gotten another job, but he also would have been a strong candidate. I don't I just doesn't make sense to me. I think it's also I I mean I guess the logic from that at that point was well Bruce is a good coach. So the season won't go off the rails even if he's not the exact coach we want. The season won't go off the rails like this and we'll get to the end 
and then we'll kind of review our options, right? We'll get to the end of the year, smooth sailing, it'll be fine. I just think you had to be, that's not inherently a, a ridiculous idea, but I just think you had to be ready to adapt. You had to be flexible enough to pivot once it was clear that this season was not going to stay on the rails, right? And that happened so early. That happened so early in the year. I, I think it pretty quickly became untenable to just, you know, hey, yeah, we're going to be really publicly crit critical of Bruce. We're not going to win a lot of games, uh, but we're also going to be very, very resistant to make a coaching change. I think that became untenable very, very quickly. And it would have done the team would have done very well to uh, to react to that scenario uh, a lot faster. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, you can get your thoughts. We're getting just you know hashtag thank you Bruce. Uh, this one from Shane from Cloverdale. Bruce is all class and doesn't deserve this. I really hope I hear some Bruce. There it is. Chance in the building tonight. Texts in one unsigned listener. Fans all recognize what's going on yeah and and we also have some texts saying that we're over the line on our criticism of the organization uh and obviously after ratings only i promise you i promise you i could not possibly pretend to care as much as this <laughs> <laughs> yeah alan calgary says guys you know what sucks when the day of change came in december 2021 there was a feeling of hope that we are in good hands if bruce leaves at any point soon this team is in a worse place now than when he got here in every aspect, contracts, rumors, controversy. This is a new low. That's from Al in Calgary. And we'll sign off and go to break, but I want to leave with this text in from a listener. I hope Bruce can take some comfort in knowing how much Canucks fans love and respect him. It's going to be, and look, we'll have time when the news is official, maybe next week, maybe on our next show, to kind of talk about, in context of the entire Bruce Boudreaux tenure here, it really is going to go down as a fascinating one, though. When you consider how brief it looks like it's going to end up being, the in, like just the fact that there's this chant, this incredibly organic, persistent chant at home games for Bruce Boudreaux every time the Canucks got up in a game, it's been a remarkable experience. I think it's been a remarkable relationship between Canucks fans uh, and Bruce Boudreaux. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, as as the texture says, I hope Bruce does take some comfort in that. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about the coaching situation as the show goes on, but I do want to turn our attention to Bo Horvat next because, yeah, his name is getting out there a lot. Our trade talks picking up. We'll get into that next. Keep your texts coming in. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from Rogers Arena. It is Canucks game day. Uh, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, and this text comes in brandon in vancouver says winning cures all ailments if talk it works out people will move on as harsh as it sounds uh and then this text also comes in if i was rick talkett i'd be really concerned about taking a job with this organization and yeah the thing is i well this is not my concerns about how this whole process play is playing out has nothing to do with rick talkett really it's not like oh rick talkett this is a terrible decision to hire rick talkett he's not going to get anything done I'm very open to the idea that Rick Talkie could be a successful coach with the Vancouver Canucks. But 
it's more about the treatment of Bruce Boudreaux. And the thing is, it's also, it, it's putting Rick Tockett in a really difficult position to come in as the successor to a coach who's kind of generating all of this sympathy and this support from fans as he, as he twists in the wind on the way out the door. Like, it's also not really fair to Rick Tockett, as, as much as no. that sounds bizarre because he's the guy getting the job instead of Bruce. But, man, it puts him in a really difficult position, too. It does. It does. I mean, Bruce was going to be a tough act to follow in terms of the way that he was regarded in this market regardless. Uh, the easy schedule that the Canucks face over the balance will be Tockett's greatest ally, but certainly the treatment of Bruce is going to leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth. There's no question about it. Now, Tockett is very close friends with former Vancouver Canucks coach Travis Green. Mm-hmm. You'd imagine he's got a resource there to understand the organization and the dynamics in the market. And so, I, you know, I would say he's going to be coming into this situation, should it in fact be him, and I think we all think it will be, with... It'd be a pretty major surprise at this point if it wasn't. He'll be coming in with eyes wide open. There's not going to be surprises. Now, would it give coaches pause the way Bruce has been treated? I mean... Barry Trotz has the same agent, and <laughs> I think there's a reason why, um, you know, uh, there's a reason why I don't think they're going to wait or pitch on that. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, these are hard jobs to get. Very hard jobs to get. People take them for a reason. And we'll see. But, yeah, I, I mean, it is a tough situation for all involved, and, you know, one where the organization's desire to win the like the over, organization's overwhelming desire to win the press conference as opposed to doing right by their people yeah i think is i think is a fundamental issue that has really hurt them and and it includes things like never actually doing wide ranging searches never actually like talking to some up and coming young people about like what direction the team should go in and and that costs this organization, this that costs Canucks ownership the opportunity to hear from some of the smartest people in the league about what they should do, whether they hire the people or not. You know, you can get ten people to yeah. put together a deck to 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 manage the to manage your business. Like you can learn some things if you're willing to do a search. But this organization zeroes in, and this last time they zeroed in. You know, we want a president of hockey operations with Stanley Cup winning experience. Well, that limits you to like four candidates. Three, three, four candidates. Jim Rutherford became available. He was a he was a coup for the organization when they landed. Likewise, you know, e- even replacing Travis Green. It's not like they took some time like in in the NFL where you talk to like ten of the best assistants in the mm-hmm. league, right? Boudreaux in hand. They had to have Boudreaux in hand. They rushed to have Boudreaux in hand before they had a president in hand, which has contributed to the dysfunction we've seen this season. I mean, it it none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. All of it's just misaligned incentives and bad decision-making. And it's really hard to come back from that. Yeah, the whole... And and I remember now, this is kind of jogging my memory, but when we were wondering when the hammer was going to fall on Travis Green and Jim Benning last year, I remember Friedman over and over again saying, you know, this is a team that has to have... For whatever reason, you look at the history of how they operate. They don't they do always. Interims. They always have the next person in line they before have they to make win, the move. They have to win the press conference. This organization lacks the self-confidence to stand alone. They need to have the prize as a shield. And it, it doesn't make sense. This is a legacy brand in this market. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's It, it results, like, that particular lack of self-confidence and reluctance to treat people the right way, like, hurts them. 
It's harmful. I, I just don't understand it. It's curious. <laughs> it's curious. Let's put it that way. I don't understand it, and I don't understand being that married to that well, idea that it, you can go through this. Well, and I'm sick of, of talking about it. Like, I'm, I'm sick of doing the business 101, like, you know, the misaligned incentives of middle managers spiel. I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> three coaches in three years, with two of them having been, like, quiet fired over three, four-week stretches. I mean... We're absolutely in, like, the Mac T, Craig Rennie, or Tom Rennie, Tom excuse Rennie. me, um, who was the other guy, Dallas Akins, Dallas Edmonton Oilers there, right? Like, this is, like, I don't know what's lower than this. Like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you sort of, you know, put lipstick on this one. No, oh, I don't think you can. No. Um, anyways, that's going to continue to be a subject of Senseless. conversation. But there's another massive story percolating around the Canucks right now, of course, which is the status of their captain, Bo Horvat. Of course, pending UFA. You all know the details. We've talked about it a lot. The latest reports, and I know our own Satyar Shah uh, mentioned it on Canucks Central yesterday. I've seen Dollywell mention it as well. And uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, who we'll hear from momentarily, also contributing that uh, talks, trade talks around Horvat, really picking up. Over the last couple of days, uh, on the latest 32 Thoughts, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada, they began their conversation talking about Bo Horvat. Here's their update on where things stand and which teams might be interested. I think this is intensified this week. I don't know that it's going to happen for sure, but I believe some teams have stepped up and indicated they're serious. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but... I definitely heard that there were conversations. I believe as we record this on Thursday night, and please understand that things can change, but I believe as we record this on Thursday night, the Canucks have not given anyone permission to talk to Horvat mm -hmm. for an extension. Again, these situations are fluid. They can change, but nobody has denied to me that there has been some intensifications. Now, who are we talking about here? I guarantee you I'm missing teams. I have I have no doubt that I'm missing teams because I think there's some teams that have been involved in some things this year that or at least talks that I've been missing out on. I think Seattle's in it. I think Minnesota's been around it, but they can only do them as a rental. I think Boston's been around it, but it's not easy for them to do it. You know, you mentioned in the Meyer part that's still to come that we taped earlier today, New Jersey. Yep. I think New Jersey's around something. I'm not saying yes, not saying no here, but I think they want to do things. And I think... Colorado? I, I haven't heard them, but that doesn't mean it. Makes sense. <laughs> Carolina, I, I don't know what what to make of it. I think Carolina... They don't do rentals. At least they don't pay big prices for rentals. Right. But I do think they want to win, so I won't discount them. It would fit what they need. Yes. Like, we're looking for need here, and teams that are used to taking big swings, mm -hmm. that's Carolina. Yeah, but, you know, it's rental is generally not been their way. You know, the one thing I think about Seattle is – I think Seattle would do it to keep him. And 
You know, one thing about the Kraken is, again, I want to stress, if they're in, makes sense for them to do it earlier so they have them mm-hmm. and they can start talking to them. That's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast with an update on where things stand with Horvat. As you heard, uh, Friedman say off the top, talks intensifying, and then an interesting rundown of teams that might be interested, teams he's heard have been involved. Um, now, the one, the Devils are the one that, uh, you know, it's interesting that he brings up the Devils, but doesn't, doesn't know if it's Horvat. Yes, just because they want to do something. Well, and, you know, obviously we all go to, to Quinn when, when it comes with the, of to the Devils because of his brothers, but the interesting thing about... Demko is another interesting name for right New Jersey as well. Absolutely, right. the The Devils, the Devils is a fit for Horvat feels limited to me because of the fact that, like, they have that center depth. They have their two way guy. Yeah, I do wonder about a team. I, I agree with you. I do wonder though if a team looks at it and says Horvat has skills that would play on the wing as well. You know what I mean? Like, he's a natural finisher. He's a great goal scorer. He's going to help you on your power play. If you love those traits enough, do you need to have a hole in your top six at center in order to go out and acquire Horvat? Now, the flip side would be, well, if you're getting him as a winger, how motivated are you going to be versus somebody who really, really needs them, uh, needs him to play down the middle? And are, are you realistically going to be able to match the price that that other team would play. But, I like, even Boston. I mean, Boston has, you know, Bergeron and Krejci. Now, long-term, Horvat could be a fit down the middle for them. But, like, if they were going after him this year, they're set at center, too. But I can see teams well, kind of... But Boston's got to be looking ahead. Well, yeah, no. At some point, sure. Bergeron's just going to leave. Like, at some point... I mean, that's just true. Like, I'm not I'm not breaking news here. No, he's, no, no. He's 100%. But my point he is, considered like... it this past summer. I, I can envision a team... Can you getting imagine Horvat being as just good like, as Bergeron and just insane. like he might be the first guy who ever walks away and it's like oh you're still like leagues better than every no, other you, two-way center like, in the league. If you kept playing, you just win the Selkie next year, 100. percent But, but, I'm, <laughs> but what, I'm gonna retire what, instead. What? I mean, honestly, I know we, I know we're Canucks talk, so we don't talk much about the Bruins. But Patrice Bergeron is like breaking everything I think I know about hockey every year he does this. It's truly. One of the most unbelievable yeah. – it's honestly one of the most unbelievable performances at his age, the durability, the sustainability of it. Like, I just – I anyway, so far no, off you're topic, right. but it's just like I don't even know that we talk enough about well, how I do wild have to, it is. I do have to laugh at the like, well, they need a replacement for Patrice Bergeron. It's like, hey, I love Bo Horvat, <laughs> but you know what he is not going to be because nobody is pretty much a replacement for Patrice Bergeron. But my point is I can envision – a team acquiring Bo Horvat more just to round out their top six and maybe add some scoring punch. Not necessarily, oh, we have this this massive, massive need we need to fill at center. Now, look, again, the teams that I think are going to be most motivated are going to have that need at center. And the one that really sticks out to me in that list, and, you know, we've heard Boston. I think the two teams we've heard the most are Boston and Colorado. All right? And that's understandable. The one that jumped out to me from that list of Freeman was Minnesota. Now, he caveats it with it. They could only do him as a rental because we know what their salary cap situation is. But if they're asking about it, that means they're at least willing to do it as a rental. And you just kind of go through the checklist of, 
you know, what would make sense as a Horvat well, destination? And they're like the only team that's managed to avoid LTI and 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 accrue enough yep. cap space where they'll have some flexibility. Now they also have Dumba as a as a contract matching thing. I think the Canucks would value Dumba as mm-hmm. part of a return, and I think Minnesota would look at moving Dumba as the cost of doing business to make a trade. So that's always fertile ground. Additionally, Bill Guerin, a longtime lieutenant of Jim Rutherford uh, and very close friends with Patrick Alvin. So the connective tissue there makes a ton of sense. Finally, finally, the Minnesota Wild have a senior official in their front office who drafted a ton of Vancouver players, some of whom um, have seen their value become distressed for whatever reason. Um, You know, you've got... Jack Rathbone, for example, I haven't checked up on his injury status since he was stretchered off the ice, but, you know, that's a player in need of another opportunity uh, once he's healthy, provided that the medicals check out. Uh, One would sort of think that that would be a natural fit. Um, You know, Aiden McDonough would be another one. Like, the Canucks have a lot of interesting sort of make-weight options that the Minnesota Wild would probably have above-average interest in relative to the rest of the league because of the familiarity with those players from a senior member of their staff. So that's an interesting one. The Boston Bruins. Um, now, I, the Bruins, I get the fit from a hockey perspective and why they're interested. I don't know what they're offering to make it worth the Canucks' while. Well, that's, and that's the other thing with Minnesota is Minnesota has the need. It's easy. I think from the Canucks' perspective, because they would only be looking at him as a rental, you don't have to involve Horvat in the negotiations, right? Like, it, there's a simplicity to it. Plus... They've got lots of good p- young pieces in their system. They have lots of young prospects. Whereas the Boston Bruins do not. Where the Bruins now, don't. The name that looms large for me in Boston would be Brandon Carlo. That feels, though, like... Oh, no. I, I, that looms large for me as if the Canucks would be super interested in him. Yeah. I can see the Canucks being like, hey, give us Brandon Carlo. But the Bruins are going to say, no, we need him for our Stanley Cup run right now. <laughs> right? Would they? Would they? I mean, you know, Brandon Carlo's a, a fine player, but it's not like he's the straw that stirs the drink. When McAvoy was out, they turned to Clifton. You know, like in 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 the contemporary NHL, like I mean, the big defenseman player type has sort of seen their value diminish somewhat relative to the value of a guy like Clifton who gets up the ice. Um, by ice time, Clifton, like even strength ice time, because Carlo's still their main PK guy. Mm-hmm. Carlo is playing a minute and a half fewer, uh, fewer like less logging a minute and a half less than Connor Clifton is in ice time on a game to game basis. Clifton is expiring and is a UFA after this year. He's going to go from one million to something more than one million. Yep. So you're still looking at having a top four of Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, Matt Greslick, and Connor Clifton. Not terrible. In fact. Really good. good. So, I don't know. I mean, that's one where he's playing third-pair minutes for them. Like, he's important to the PK. Maybe you throw in Luke Shen, give him a little depth on that side. I don't know. Yeah. And would the Canucks view Carlo as the long-term fit with Quinn? He's 26. He's signed for a while. I think I, like, I want to get out ahead of it and say, should that be the primary piece? I loathe it. I think that makes zero sense I for this team. Strongly agree. But, but you know, you can understand why the Canucks would be interested. You could understand certainly why the Bruins would consider. It. I just, man, it's not even necessarily. No, no, it's a, a disaster. It's it's not even necessarily it's, anything it's against the, Brandon Carlo. It's like he's twenty six. 
Oh, for that me should be it the is. end. I know, but it's that too. But like, <laughs> that should be the end of the conversation almost. Unless you're getting a true superstar, he's 26. If the if the primary player piece coming back in any Horvat trade is over the age of 22, you've done damage to this team. I'm I'm like very seriously, you've done damage to this team if they're over the age of 22. You're better off just taking picks. You're better That's off what I just would taking a, a mess of picks. Chet here. and Burnaby texted, man, the Bruins 24 and 25 first-rounders would be super interesting or, to or, me. Or one that rolls over. Yeah. Like, and, of course, because, you know, if Bergeron retires, like, yeah, there's still Pasternak, there's still Marshawn, no, there's still McAvoy, but pa- pa- Bergeron. Pasternak. Pa- yeah, Pasternak's expiring. That's true. Pasternak's expiring. That'll Ber- that'll get done, though. Pasternak's not going anywhere. But, still. You are, lose you, Ber- are, are you sure? I'm pretty sure. But you lose he's Bergeron. Gonna be, he's he's poised to be the highest-paid player in the league. You lose Bergeron. And they're going to make him the Krejci. highest. Are they going to make him the highest-paid player in the I league? I don't know. If they think they're losing Bergeron, probably. Or, if you think you're losing Bergeron, do not lean in. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to leave. Like, I see why to, Boston's to restocking. motivated. I completely understand why Boston is motivated to, to go get Bo Horvat. Like, no, no, but I'm saying if, if Bergeron, Bergeron's only making $2.5 million this it's year. out of control. Amazing. Um, but if Bergeron and Krejci, $3.5 million worth of centers, oh, my God, um, decide to hang it up or, you know, they decide not to re-sign Pasternak, I mean, the Boston Bruins could change direction in a hurry and do, like, a quick couple year restock they've got that Hoggins kid uh, in 2025 a, who's a retool on the fly <laughs> no like a full-on two-year let's jog it yeah you know like that's what they did in 0607 people never talk about it but that's like they had two top 10 picks and then two more because the Toronto Maple Leafs screwed up the Kessel thing so badly people are texting in about Fabian Lysel. nice nice prospect from everything I can is tell he? but like is he I don't think a winger at that level is moving is he? the needle. Yeah, like, I mean, he's a decent prospect. He's scoring at the AHL this year as a young guy. He's okay. Yeah, that's what I said. Decent prospect. I'm not. I'm not raving about him. But I mean, like, like Heizelm's not moving the needle. That's what I mean. At least he's under 22. I'd still rather that than Brandon Carlo, but not by a lot. If he's a part of a package, yeah, sure, that's fine. Nice, nice player to take a flyer on. But I, I don't think that can be the premium piece. Uh, that you're getting back in a Bo Horvat deal. Um, 650-650 is the uh, <laughs> Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, running through a couple of You got of the some other... gold in. What do you get? Oh, no. Chet and Burnaby just said, Jamie has some serious. He's 34. Who cares? <laughs> Five going on right now. I was, I was pointing out Brandon Carlo's age. Uh, minor Matt Abbotsford texts in, Hey, Drancer, if Bo was traded to the Hurricanes... There's a chance that Kakaniemi would be the centerpiece of the deal. Would you pump the Canucks' tires, or would you go full Trancer Kong and scale the building while shouting profanities? <laughs> probably, probably neither. Kakaniemi, Kakaniemi for me is like right in this window where I wouldn't like. You wouldn't know what to do. Well, he's 23. Yeah. Okay, he's 23, and I think he's better than he's shown in Carolina. I think he can. You know what Kakaniemi is for me, though? He's, like, really expensive Kirby Doc. Okay? Mm. So it's like, I think Kakaniemi could be a really sick player for you if you accept that what you're trying to find is, like, low-end Mark Stone, low-end Valerie Nichushkin. So, like, there's this lanky type of center who I don't consider a center. JT Miller's probably the closest Canucks version to it, where it's like, 
realistically, you can win a ton of battles. You're fast. You're long and disruptive and annoying, so I like you as an F1. Mm-hmm. I doubt that you have the hockey sense to be like an elite F3 and control play in the middle of the ice like a centerman does and, and you know, be the guy who the puck moves through in terms of the responsibility and in terms of the skill required, the silkiness required to be a center in, in the NHL. Um, you know, Kirby Doc's a good example of a guy who right away I was like, I just don't think he's a center. I just don't think he's a center. Kakaniemi for me is a guy I watch, and I'm like, yeah, he's not scoring a ton, but I think he could be a really assertive, annoying, long two-way winger for you, like maybe a really good defensive winger for you. So I'm okay with a Kakaniemi return. He's the right age. I think that contract could even be efficient if he becomes the sort of, you know, um, defensive ace sort of winger that I that I'm envisioning. I just think if you're acquiring him and thinking he's a center, he's a replacement for Bo Horvat, I I don't buy that. I think he's he's a winger. And then if you're sort of planning on on rolling Miller and Kakaniemi at center, I'm like, "No, you don't have any centers." You don't you know, this is this is the, the that's sort of the thing that I'd bump into there. So, Kakaniemi is a complicated one for me because I'm higher than market on the player. If, if he's used right, I just see him as one of those guys who long-term is going to be a, better suited to playing on the wing as like a, a, on, on like a really good two-way line. Like, I'd love Kakaniemi to play with Bo Horvat right. on this like annoying yeah. sort of um, this annoying four-checking two-way line. Like, you, you give me Kakaniemi as like the apex version of what Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat were together, right? And, and then throw... Uh, uh, Miller on the on the other side. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting second line. But again, that's an interesting second line if you're trying to win the cup with this team in the next two years. Yeah. And if you're trying to do that, you're you know, you're going in the wrong direction. Kakaniemi is an interesting one. You know, he kind of there's two things with Kakaniemi. One, he has like the shine of hey, the the really smart Carolina Hurricanes. They went after him and they they moved heaven and earth to go get him. That means something. But then he would also have the mm, but then they were moving on. <laughs> from him in a rental thing, right? So you could kind of twist that one uh, either way. I like him. I like him. And by the way, I think the Hurricanes like him, and I think they like the cost certainty there. The Hurricanes love their floor bets. Yes. Right? At 4.85, what does – like people look at the 30-point pace stuff or whatever, right? But it's like the, the Carolina Hurricanes don't care. No. They win 2-1 games. The Carolina Hurricanes look at Kakaniemi and think if he's a middle six forward for us with cost certainty locked up, who's going to expire at the age of 30. We've milked a guy's entire prime, and maybe he's got more ceiling for us. Like the Carolina, I don't think the Carolina Hurricanes, not saying they wouldn't move him to, to acquire Bo Horvat. I'm saying I don't think they'd view him as a negative asset. Yeah. I think they view him as a really good player. They wouldn't have done everything they did, including the extension, if they didn't like him. It reminds me a little bit. It's like the inverse of the situation. They're not so petty <laughs> that they'd that they'd sign an inefficient no, 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 they really for a like player. That they, they do. Really, they do. The, the question is, are, do the, how much, if at all, have they soured on him? There's no question that they really oh, liked him I, at one point. I mean, I don't think a ton. Truly, I don't think a ton. The Carolina Hurricanes are so patient. And here's the other one that I would I would say to you is like, <laughs> I don't think the Carolina Hurricanes would countenance considering dealing Seth Jarvis, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, he's perfect for them. Plays disciplined, plays hard, always in the right spots. You know, they probably look at that and they're like, hey, we have a, a young Brandon Gallagher on our team. Like, he f- suits how we want to play to a tee, and he's a huge advantage to us 
as this guy who's, you know, yeah, he's only got, a, what, one more year left on his ELC, but that's crucial for them because he plays top six minutes, but also he's not scoring at such a clip that he's going to be an $8 million player. He's going to be a $4 million player, mm -hmm. and that's huge for them, particularly if he can take yeah. a Neckash-style, um, you know, growth, uh, like grow as a game like that in his early 20s. I, I, you know, that would be like the most surprising chip to me to see moved for Bo Horvat. I, I, that would blow me away. I'd be floored. Yeah. That doesn't seem like something they'd consider. They do have the uh, the defenseman prospect Morrow. Morrow. Right? They have Jack Drury. And they have a million other right-handed defenseman prospects who are really interesting. And and lefties like Ronan Seeley, who can play the right side, um, you know, was was on Team Canada at, at the 2021, the summer world juniors. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's a lot of defensive prospects yeah. there. Hemo Salmi, on and on. Like, that is a... That is an organization that makes 10 picks a year I'm and tends I'm, to do pretty well. I'm still skeptical Carolina's going to do it for a rental. You never know, though. And it, One of the teams that we've heard that is interested. We'll keep talking about that. Plus, uh, Anthony Stewart from Sportsnet is going to join us up next to talk a little bit about Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow. It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are live at Rogers Arena and live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Sportsnet 650 is teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by Randy Janda. Reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. We'll have tailgate and drink specials plus prizes throughout the day. Kickoff is at 3.30. The Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. We're going to be joined... Uh, by Anthony Stewart uh, momentarily here. Did I, did I hear we have uh, Stewie on the line there? All right, now joining us, Sportsnet NHL analyst to talk a little bit about Hockey Day in Canada. Coming up tomorrow, our pal Anthony Stewart. Anthony, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well, just cruising around good old Owen Sound, Ontario. <laughs> Very good. What a, what a thrill. Home uh, of the attack. Let's go. Um so Hockey Day tomorrow is in Owen Sound. You're going to be part of it. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role and just what, what this celebration means to you. Well, I'm more of an ambassador just going on behalf of Sportsnet. Uh, but, again, we're doing a lot of events. You know, I went and helped run a practice yesterday. Uh, you know, today I went and helped coach the, a high school hockey game uh, versus um, Andrew Ferentz, former NHL player as well, too. So it's just getting in there with the sense of community there getting to meet amazing fans and learning their stories. And, you know, we talked about it yesterday with just the small towns in Canada sort of being the lifeline of, of, of Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet and, and everything because they really, really genuinely love the game of hockey. They, they watch every single game. You're seeing the attack games that are, uh, you know, for their home games packed to the, to the brims with kids. And 
uh, senior citizens. So it's just that great sense of community. So be able to celebrate that now and, and do your best to try to tell the stories of the city. It, it's great. Owen Sound is, is probably one of the greatest small towns uh, that I've been to for sure. Well, and I know you and uh, you and your brother Chris recently just had your jerseys retired in Kingston. And, you know, a- another opportunity to kind of celebrate what junior hockey means in Ontario and across uh, across this country, really. Just, like, how important is that that grassroots hockey and the community that comes with it for you? Well, it's, it's definitely a great experience, right? And, and, and I talk to everybody just about, you know, my brother and I growing up not with uh, – you know, we were underprivileged. That was an understatement. But we had that sense of community where people went above and beyond for my brother and I to make sure that we had registration paid for, rides to the rink. I was talking about it earlier that, you know, I used to always want to go out and score an extra goal, hoping that the family that drove me to the rink would buy me McDonald's after because I was used to eating, you know, toast and ketchup or toast and syrup for dinner. So, uh, you know, really having that sense of community. And that's why my brother and I were successful. And, you know, families could have easily said, you know what, we're not going to go above and beyond for this family. So, you know, with, uh, you know, events like this, you really get that sense of community. And that really uh, was my love of the game. It's just having that sense of community and going above and beyond for the next generation of youth. So I'm sort of the forecaster of the next generation. Uh, the game's going to be in great hands because some of these kids are amazingly talented. And, you know, we're teaching them now those life lessons and they're going to be resilient. And, uh, you know, they're going to be doing things the right way. And, you know, we're excited for the future for sure. That, that's a that's a pretty incredible story, and I mean, with that in mind, how important is it for you to, as you are doing, give back and be part of kind of helping the game forward to the next generation? You know, I feel it's my civic duty, and you know, we we have a charity advisor with Hockey Equality, and they never tell me to say this, but I said I don't vote, <laughs> I don't vote because I make my impact to the community uh, one hour at a time on the ice, and uh, you know. I urge anybody, ex-hockey player, someone that just sort of maybe fell out of love with the game, just get on the ice with these kids because you see them getting better every single drill, every single practice game month, and you're seeing some of these kids now go on to the next level. It's very, very fulfilling. So if you're an ex-hockey player, you're not sure what avenue, I'm telling you, this this being involved in minor hockey, next generation, it opened up so many doors for me with Sportsnet and, uh, and media and the charity and everything as well. So um, it's it's just very, very fulfilling. So I, I, again, I keep repeating that, but uh, minor hockey and, and these kids, it's, it's, it's great, and I can understand why it's Canada's game. Hey, it's, uh, it's a great day to be there in Owen Sound, but uh, for all of us across the country too, great day just to park yourself on the couch and watch some hockey. I think 14-and-a-half-hour broadcast is what I saw. All seven Canadian teams in action. What matchup has you most intrigued for tomorrow? How do you pick one? You know, how do you just pick one? There's a lot of interesting games here. I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, on 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 Vancouver, maybe uh, post game, right? But <laughs> yes, perhaps, perhaps. For uh, what reason you know, is you know what? So you know what? I'll, I'll I'll go. You know, I'm not going to be a Toronto homer and say Toronto versus the Habs, but uh, why not Edmonton and Vancouver, right? Anytime you get a chance to watch Connor McDavid, uh, you know what he's doing right now too, and. You know, for Vancouver, you know, I really feel for the fans out there, too, because they're very, very passionate. You just tap in hashtag Canucks on Twitter, you can see the passion and, and feel it. And uh, so, again, you know, you know, for them, it's, it's, it's good to see that hopefully they can get stuff together, you know, off the ice because, again, they have some good young pieces, and I think the future can be bright. But uh, I'll be definitely watching pretty much every game. Uh, but I'll have my eye on that Edmonton-Vancouver for sure. Stewie, when you're on uh, Toronto radio, you can say it's the Toronto-Montreal game. But you got you got the right answer for out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Hey, Stu, have, have you been following the news? Oh, have you been following the news out of Vancouver? How could you miss it? But have you seen today the, the Bruce Boudreaux clips? Just wondering if you had a response to sort of what you're witnessing in terms of his availability and the emotion that he showed this morning. Yeah, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve there. And the one thing I could say about Bruce, and he, and he used the term social equity, he's got an abundance of that uh, mm. around the league and respect around the league. So um, any way you dice the business side of the game, I think he deserves to be treated a lot better uh, by the organization. So, again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I think everybody knows that. But, Bruce, you can hear, you know, there's the passion in his voice. and just the, He's just a nice guy. <laughs> so you don't want to see – you know, nice guys go through things like this because, again, I've had a chance to, to meet him numerous times. He coached my brother. Amazing coach, amazing person. So you want the best for him. So, um, you know, whether or not he's with the team uh, sooner than later, you know, he, he's got enough social equity where he can decide what he wants to do. Maybe he wants to coach another team. He can step right into the media booth as well, too, because he's that good of a person. So you want to see good things happen to good people. So uh, regardless of the situation of Vancouver, I think Bruce is going to be fine. Hey, Stewie, just before we let you go, just one last kind of hockey-related question here for the Canucks. Obviously, the other big talking point is what's going on with Bo Horvat. Where, uh, where is he going to end up? Which team do you think should step up and meet the price that could really, really use Bo Horvat in their lineup the most? Ooh. Why not Seattle? I'd love to see that. Him come and score four goals a game against the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. You get, if I'm Vancouver... You know, is there a team in uh, Halifax? You trade them, trade them farther as east as you can. But uh, again, you know, maybe you know, maybe the Oilers. I like to see him be that secondary scoring option with the Oilers. I think he can help put them over the top. I know the Oilers have some different issues. That's uh, tertiary scoring and defense, and uh, you know, maybe some goaltending issues as well too. But I'd like to see him in Edmonton. But you know, you, you know, you're hearing his name in the in the headlines. You know, I can tell you one thing for sure. He's He's getting ready to buy some real estate and some cars, and he's not listening to that noise. He's got some bigger worries to deal with. So he's uh, he's a great player, great uh, great citizen as well too. So I, I like to see you know him uh, him line up uh, somewhere good. And again, I'm not his agent, and I'm not getting commission. So this is not a paid message. <laughs> <laughs> Tertiary scoring. <laughs> well, that's that's what McDavid, McDavid and Drysaddle they provide so much offense. We consider yeah. it primary and secondary. Everybody else is first. <laughs> Uh, Stu, that's fantastic, and I love that you settled on Seattle and Edmonton. A real uh, either destination would be a real treat for Canucks fans to have Bo Horvat in the division uh, okay. against geographic rivals. Hey, we 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 love having you on, and uh, enjoy Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow. It should be great. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, that Stu. Is Anthony Stewart, of course, former NHL player, zero uh, interest in pandering to the market. Now, now, well, he did. He did. He said the the matchup he was most interested in was uh, Vancouver Edmonton, but then towards the end, there, no interest whatsoever. Of course, uh, Stewie also a sports NHL analyst, uh, talking about Hockey Day in Canada and getting his thoughts a little bit on the Vancouver Canucks as well, which was uh, very enjoyable. And, I mean, you heard him say it. What was the phrase he used there? Social equity that Bruce Boudreaux has built up by being just incredibly genuine and pleasant and a good person over decades uh, in hockey. And I think that goes a long way to uh, to explain kind of the outpouring of emotion that we've seen from people reacting to Bruce Boudreau and uh, his media availability earlier today. Uh, 650-650, it's Canucks talk here. You can get your text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will be joined by uh, Dmitry Filipovich uh, later in the next segment to uh, to do our, our normal Friday segment with Dmitry. And, yeah, I mean, the Canucks, 
they do play the Colorado Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champion tonight at Rogers Arena Drancer. It looks like Kale McCarr is going to be in the lineup. There was some uh, question about whether that would be the case. I think a lot of people's attention is going to be on not just what kind of effort the players show for Bruce, but also how the fans respond uh, to Bruce Boudreaux and what kind of send-off or almost send-off or whatever it is they try to give him. Uh, I want to get back into the inbox and talk a little bit more about um, some of the the list of potential Bo Horvat destinations that we heard from Elliot Friedman. Now, he didn't mention this one, but I saw earlier today at uh, Daily Faceoff, our, our guy Frank Saravelli had kind of an update on where things stand with Bo Horvat, and he mentioned a lot of the same teams, Seattle, Minnesota, Boston, uh, and he also threw Detroit into the mix, which I find really, really fascinating, right? And this has always been one of the dynamics with the Bo Horvat situation is that it's not just going to be your classic, hey, we're really, really good and we need to bolster our top six for a, for a Stanley Cup playoff run, so we're going to go get Bo Horvat. It's not just going to be those teams. It's also going to be teams that we could be looking for a long-term solution. And Detroit definitely falls into that latter position, right? They're not going to make the playoffs this year, but they're a team that's expected to take major steps forward in the years to come. I mean, look, I don't know. If I had to bet right now, I would have Detroit pretty far down my list, but I think it just illustrates how much demand there is that even a team like Detroit could legitimately be interested, be potentially willing to meet the Canucks asking price for Bo Horvat. Yeah. I mean, the situation, I look, the Horvat thing, we're going to do a month of this, aren't we? Or like, this is the last show of it. Who knows? Yeah. I don't think so. I'd be surprised. It's so hard. Like, there's just so few teams with actual cap space, you know? I'm sure things are heating up. I'm sure the organization is looking at a variety of different things. But So two things. One is the Canucks can't really get themselves that worse and that, that much worse anyway. Like, you know, I know th- three weeks ago I was saying, hey, they should seize this opportunity to get bad. But it's just too hard. It's just too hard to sink like a stone in the standings when you have players like Patterson and Hughes. But and I don't I don't think the focus should be necessarily on sinking like a stone as much as it should be not rising. Right? Well, like but the they're fo- going to they're going to rise anyway. But but you could you still have to you can still try to avoid that as much as possible. Try to make well, yourself worse. It's, right? It's too hard. I mean, so if you go read the Athletic today, I've got a new piece up and you know, I'm sure no one will talk about it because of the news, which is totally <laughs> fine. That's how the business works. But me and Dom LeCision on the suggestion from Mike in the Valley on Twitter modeled out how the Canucks can harm their own chances. How effective a midseason tank job could be for the Canucks. And effectively what we saw is that more than the talent on this roster... What shapes what's going to shape the Canucks' performance over the rest of the season is that they have the thinnest, softest, most cake schedule among almost all NHL teams. Third softest schedule the rest of the way. So, you know, we devised an all-out tank scenario, and let me give this t- to you. Assuming the Canucks, before puck drop tonight, traded Shen, Horvat, and Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. and then load-managed Thatcher Demko on his return which wouldn't happen until a week after the All-Star break and only let him play half of their games. So really got to a point where it was clear what they were doing, trying to lose. 
we could weaken the Canucks from an 89-point true talent team to an 81-point true talent team in this manner. And yet they'd still perform, because of the softness of the schedule, as an 86-point pace team over the balance of the season per Dom LeCision's projections, finishing with 79 projected points, which is about 10 higher than the San Jose Sharks. Right? The only impact to their Connor Bedard odds, their odds of selecting first overall in the NHL um, entry draft, would be 1.5% versus where they stand now, and only 0.1 or 1.3% over if they traded Horvat and, like, added Carlo. You know, like, if they truly, like, went about making, like, a playoff push. It's too late. Tanking requires ruthlessness, planning, execution, and above all else, preparation. And the Canucks weren't prepared for this. They haven't put the work in for this moment. They're not going to be able to sink like a stone. Trading Horvat doesn't help. And like, honestly, we're at a point where trading Horvat weakens this team and probably doesn't weaken them sufficiently to help them lose, like, three games against Anaheim, one against Columbus, one against Chicago. Uh, they have two remaining against Arizona. St. Louis they play. They play San Jose again. They play Ottawa again. They play Philadelphia again. Like, a who's who of the worst in the league? The Canucks, 16 of their remaining 38. Detroit twice. Like <laughs> St. Louis twice are against some of the worst teams in this in this league. It's too late. It's too late. The Bedard sweepstakes is already out of hand, most likely, Here's barring significant injury. The top, uh, like, bottom three, to me, was never realistic. Bottom five, even, like, I know people got excited about the Sharks, and like, oh, hey, they're only four, they're only two points back, and all that. I don't even really see that as super realistic. And again, when you look at points percentage, like, they're actually much more uh, ahead of the Sharks than, than it looks just by points. But I do think there's a path to remaining in the bottom seven, bottom eight at worst. And I think it starts with trading Bo Horvat. Now, look, the schedule is the biggest, far and away, far and away the biggest obstacle. And you could throw uh, the potential arrival of a new coach in there as well, right? Whatever you think of Rick Tockett, it wouldn't be surprising whatsoever to see some core, some sort of new coach bump, as is often the case, uh, regardless of coach when they take over. Wouldn't be shocking you know, there's there's been reports that Hoaglander and Colson could make a return to the NHL, which strengthens the lineup. So there's a lot working against them, but like I don't see it as unrealistic for them to, you know, basically have like a 500 points percentage for the rest of the season, which should land them based on where they are now, like 27 or 28th. And you know, to your point about it's too late. Yeah, it's too late to challenge for the bottom three. It's probably too late to challenge for the bottom five. But I don't that think that means you should just accept your fate and say, well, we're going to climb up the standings. You know, you can still try to affect things. It's never too late to start trying to do the right thing, to start trying to do the smart thing, even if it's not going to be nearly as effective as it would have been if you'd started a long time ago, right? And that's, that's the situation they're in. Like, yeah, well, they're, sure, they're it's, not going to have the best shots of Connor Bedard. Better, but you still got to try to move the needle as much as you can. I mean, there, there's no moving the needle. You can't move the needle if you load up. You can't move the needle. Like, truly, truly, I actually think there's a relevant takeaway here. So where where do you think they're going to finish, roughly? Like, do you think they're going to be outside the top ten and, like, literally no chance at Bedard? I think there's a real shot that this team finishes with 80 to 85 points. Particularly if they change coaches. Particularly if they trade Horvat for NHL-level players. Particularly if they keep Kuzmenko. I, I, I mean, I think they're 
most likely to end up at, you know, something like 80 to 83 points. Particularly once Demko comes back. And, and you know, Demko, I know, played poorly in the first part of the year, but Demko is not a bad goalie. Come on. We all know this. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, also, like, their goaltending hasn't gotten better <laughs> without Demko. That's for sure. They, they like, the competition is so fierce at the bottom of the standings this year. You know, this is a hard league to do something exceptional in, whether it's exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. It's hard to be on the extreme ends. It's easy to be in the middle where the Canucks have been locked for the last three seasons, 20th in the NHL in point percentage. Consider like consider the following two stats. This is all you need to know. Vancouver has won just three regulation games since November 27th, fewer than every other team in hockey, including the Anaheim Ducks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sorry, they have the fewest regulation wins since November 27th, three. That is stunning. The Ducks, the Coyotes, and the Blue Jackets all have four, and the Chicago Blackhawks have five. In that time period, however, the Canucks have won all seven of their games that have ended beyond regulation, meaning that Vancouver has picked up, on average, five points in terms of the bottom of the NHL standing. So those teams have gained five points on average against the Canucks over a span in which the team has won three of, I think it's three of 23 in regulation. Since December 27th, the Canucks have won just twice in 10 games. No other team in the NHL has won as few, except one team, the Arizona Coyotes. The Canucks haven't gained a single point on them. <laughs> like, it's it's so hard to move the needle. You can't. Like, again, honestly, you're too late. Again, it's, you're not too about, late. it's not about catching those teams, though. It's about staying where you are. It's well, about not well, letting the other teams catch you. That's so, what it's about. So that's right? that's where this gets interesting is... You know, when we when we sort of modeled it out, right? If the Canucks did the all-out tank, trade Kuzmenko, Horvat, yeah, Shen right away, the only team that they flip with, if they are extremely aggressive, the only team that they flip with versus not sort of um, or like just doing Horvat and Shen, but doing it at the, at deadline, the deadline or whatever, and keeping yeah. Kuzmenko, the only team they'd flip with, based on Dom Lecision's projections, is the Philadelphia Flyers. That's it. So one you're team. saying in the extreme tank, they would stay below Philly? Yep. And in the other one, they would rise above In the Philly. realistic scenario, they'd rise above Philly, yeah. Well, that's actually a more hopeful take then, right? Because then you're saying, like, even in those projections, what? They're going to finish, like, eighth? Something like that? If they're only flipping with Philly from where they are now? That makes me feel better about it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, it doesn't make me feel better about it. <laughs> no, because I've chances been projecting still suck. Like, I've been projecting to be between six and eights for, like, weeks now. Like, no, that, I, that's where it's going to be. But it's not good enough. Like, it's not good Oh, enough. it's disappointing. It's brutally disappointing. But that's also where they are. Like, that's where no, they've I been know. for a while. Now. I know, but that's, you know, better than what it looks like now is not good enough. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's text in, uh, Bedard should have tanked his own performance to allow the Canucks to draft him at eighth overall. Even he is failing at tanking. That is from Marcus in Gibson's. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final segment of the week with our pal Dmitry Filipovich, host of the PDO cast, coming up next here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, final segment of the day, final segment of the week. Happy early weekend to everyone. It's Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here, live from the Kintex Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative 
visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are now joined, as we are every week in this segment, our guy, you hear him on the PDO cast here on Sportsnet, he is Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, what's going on, man? It's going. Uh, happy to be on as always. <laughs> happy to be on as always, and uh, I'm sure it's been quite a uh, uneventful, quiet week for you guys. Yes, the show. especially yeah. today. Oh yeah, today's one of those days where, like, five minutes before we're even on the on the air, the text message inbox is like blowing up with comments because people are just like, "Ah, I need to say something about the Canucks. I need to talk about the Canucks." And, people and are that's very mad. People yeah. are very mad, Dimitri. Anyway, let's talk about the Canucks' upcoming slate, regardless of who exactly is coaching and what players exactly are on the team Mm -hmm. uh, when we do. So they play the Colorado Avalanche tonight. They have their number. It doesn't make sense. But the Avs have played better recently, and we won't see Kale McCarr tonight. We haven't talked about the game at all today. No. So I'm just doing the full full game notes there. It looks like Spencer Martin will start, by the way. So, um, Dimitri. Yep. Why do the Canucks beat the Avs so often? (laughs) They have their number, as you said. It's it's the most – foolproof reasoning that i can think of i don't know it's 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 i think it's purely it's random i think i think that trend um could reverse course tonight let's say that <laughs> how dare you um have the abs i know three in a row have they started to turn it around turn the corner a little bit in your eyes they have yeah i mean they they completely smoked the the red wings and the senators um at home and then they had a really good team effort in calgary recently Val Matushkin came back two games ago. It's kind of coincided with that, and they're just an entirely different team when he's in the lineup. He unlocks so much for them up front. So I think they're I think they're rounding into form here. They're still missing a bunch of key players, obviously, and 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 you know, Kale McCarr being out in the short term doesn't help. But um I think this is starting to become a different version of and a team that we're expecting to see all season. We're gonna finally see them in these final two months or so of the season. So let's move on from the Avs. Oilers tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, we all know the Oilers. They have McDavid. They have Dreisaitl. Their defense isn't very good. Let's move on from them to the Blackhawks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a lot of teams because we're we're not gonna we're gonna go through to Friday, right? Wait, we're gonna go through to the All Star break. You're breezing. You're breezing through the Oilers to so that we can frantically talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. Blackhawks. Yeah, absolutely. Because the Chicago Blackhawks are the team the Canucks are racing with, right? The Chicago Blackhawks. Wow, you're right. They're not catching either. Okay, yada yada Blackhawks. Well, no, no, wait, 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 hold on. No. Grant, we've got 20 minutes left in this segment, buddy. Well, here's what, here's, here's, okay. Let's talk football. No, no. <laughs> Grant, oh, this, this is what I'll say about the Blackhawks. They, for some reason, insist on winning games. I know. And, uh, it's great. And, and so it seemed like they kind of had a, a real stranglehold on that, um, on the 25% or whatever first, um, highest lottery odds for, for Bedard for finishing 32nd. And since then, they've won, rattled off a handful of wins, and the Blue Jackets are in in pole, pole position. position. Now. Yeah, having having narrowly outlasted the Anaheim Ducks, allowing I mean I mean okay, let's talk about this really quickly. Was there a better moment for the tank battle? Like, was this the decisive tank battle moment when the Columbus Blue Jackets allowed the Anaheim Ducks to eliminate their three nothing lead last night? I was watching, absolutely riveted. Yeah, and and honestly, so the the Blue Jackets went up three nothing early, I believe. I had right? so much fun. Yeah, they were up three nothing in the first, and then Dallas Akins, for some reason, shows a pulse for the first time this season. <laughs> Puts in John Gibson in net, doesn't yeah. give up another goal the rest of the way. The Ducks storm back. And, storm back. I and- mean, the Ducks are clearly superior to these teams they're competing with. 
for for the highest lottery odds, but they've made it so far. They're like at the 45 game mark. They've done so much good work already so far this season. It's a shame to see them start to blow it here by playing better and actually winning games. But it feels like they're going to rise to the top a little bit amongst that group and win more games in these teams. So I don't really think they were ever truly in consideration for for finishing 32nd. Well, it is interesting though because I was talking to a colleague here at 650 and he made the point that, you know, you, okay, look at like the bottom four, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago, Arizona. Yep. All the other teams except Anaheim, except Anaheim have like a new coach who's, you know, probably going to be there for a couple more seasons and is trying to do the like rah, rah, let's win some games thing. Dallas, Eken, Dallas Aikens, like we all know what's going on there, right? So I, I do wonder if the, there's any team that's just going to completely quit and stop, not that they've been trying particularly hard up to this point, and, and just play absolutely ridiculous hockey for the end of the season. I could see it being Anaheim. But having said that, I mean, they kind of frustrated that theory by coming back against Columbus last night. So I don't know. I liked that theory, but maybe it won't hold up over the rest of the season. Well, I think they have too much talent, and they also have players who I think are, are trying to play themselves into being traded over the next couple of weeks. And it's so, yes. And yeah. so I, I, I think that's going to be enough to differentiate them from a team like the Blackhawks that is just truly deplorably bad, right? Well, I, and like, I mean, are the are the Blackhawks going to be able to, like, find takers for Athanasiu and, and Domi half-retained? Like, uh, Pat, you know, we'll see what they do with Taves, Pat Kane. I mean, the Blackhawks, I still think, have another move to make here. They do, although do you hear um, Friedman recently was saying that they're looking to get Domi signed because they feel like they need to have actual NHL players around and he likes it there. So that'll be, some, that'll be something to watch for. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I honestly, they've gotten to this position with all these players. I don't think they need to be frantically trying to trade in them a way to get worse. I think they're going to be bad enough, just fine with those guys around. But I'm, I'm impressed that the Blue Jackets have managed. Like they're, I mean, they've played two more games than the Blackhawks so far and they have two fewer points. I mean, they're in a pretty good spot here to get that first pick. So so here's um me and Dom Lecision were crunching the Canucks chances if they were to like can they get into a midseason tank basically. Like that's me and Dom Lecision were trying to answer that question using his model in different scenarios yesterday. I'm I'm gonna read you the following stats. The Montreal Canadiens have the hardest schedule remaining in hockey the rest of the way. So don't count out the Montreal Canadiens in this great tank battle. Ottawa, Columbus, San Jose and Philly all above average difficult schedules mm. the rest of the way so based off of that anyway ducks blackhawks maybe are the teams to look at rather than the columbus blue jackets the columbus blue jackets might have trouble staying in pole position despite their fabulous clutch performance yesterday that is true i mean the canucks are from looking at the upcoming schedule we're not going to preview the blue jackets game because uh i think we'll do that next week no 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 because but... it's the all-star break i mean let's just let's do it now and then we can just like do a full 30 minutes on football next week. well i mean the canucks have two home games next week against the blackhawks and the blue jackets and i mean jackets. Know. Those... big games big games dimitri i mean this market clamors for important games <laughs> to to get excited for and root for and have motivation i mean does it get better than that i well, and and i mean is there a softer landing spot for a new coach? Should that should that decision come down either this weekend or on Monday, then you play the Blackhawks on, what, Monday? Tuesday. Yep. Tuesday, okay, Tuesday, then you've got the Wednesday in Seattle. And Seattle, I mean, I know Seattle's first in the Pacific, but Seattle's never beaten the Canucks in franchise history, right? Like, I, I mean, for whatever reason, the Canucks have – Colorado and Seattle's numbers. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. Hockey's weird. And then Columbus on, on Friday. I mean, 
feels like a good start is in the offing for the next Canucks head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Terrible. Terrible, yeah. It is what it is. Um, what impact do you think a coach can have on this team? Hmm. Yeah, I had Patrick Johnson on the PDO cast yesterday, and we did a full show on the Canucks. Um, so apologies to listeners that check that out for, for me rehashing <laughs> this stuff. But I, I, I don't understand the motivation to do this right now. I mean, this team's lost eight of its past 10 games. Like, it, yeah. to me, it seems like they're doing a great job. They should keep 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 rolling it out. Keep Why mess with a good thing, right? It, it makes no sense because no matter who takes over, like, if you or I got hired to be the head coach of this team, the team would probably start winning a few games right off the bat. Like, that's just how this works, no matter the quality of the coach. Oh, I don't that... think the Canucks players would, would play for me, but maybe for you. <laughs> I could see you having a, getting a bump, but I don't think I'd get one. I mean, I think the lines I think the lines would certainly be more optimized if you or I Tw- took over. 23, but... 23 players have requested a trade. <laughs> <laughs> that might make this team better. Um, no, I kid. Uh, listen, uh, there's going to be a dead cap bounce. They're going to they're gonna win some games, and, and that's unfortunate because they really cannot lose enough between now and game 82. So that should be the motivation for everything they try to accomplish. You know, if it is Rick Tockett, which it seems like it will be, let's let's play that out. He's known for, you know, the defensive side of things. They're going to work on having better, um, better coverage, better structure, better support in zone. And I think they probably can make some gains there. I'm ultimately skeptical that it's going to be uh, meaningful enough to actually provide results, even, you know, even slightly, even marginally, just because the personnel is lacking so much in terms of foot speed and talent on the blue line that ultimately it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig where it's like, okay, you can kind of like do a bit of window dressing here or there, but eventually that lack of talent is going to become exposed. And so, you know, you're making this change, but to what end? I, I really think there's not that much that can be done with this group. Dimitri, I want to ask you about a game we're both really excited to watch next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, not football. Okay. Um, yeah, the CHL top prospects game in Langley. Now, I'm going to talk out of school here. I texted the coach of one of the teams, the team that has Bedard on it, Henrik Sedin, last night. Okay. To lobby, to lobby him to play three former Vancouver Vipers, Benson, Crystal, and Bedard together. Um, how unique is it to have three first-time draft eligibles at the absolute apex of the WHL scoring leaderboards? I mean, yep. from a statistical standpoint, from a skill standpoint, how unique is that? And then how wild is it that all three are from one metro area? Yeah, I'm saying metro area because the Chilliwack people get on me if I if I don't <laughs> note that Benson is not from Vancouver. Oh, it's remarkable, and it's it's good timing for that local team, a professional team, to be as bad as it possibly can be given that i mean i'm excited to be there we're gonna we're gonna go there together and, and it's gonna be a blast to watch i'd love to see them all play together although ultimately it's like there's only one puck i i, I kind of want to make sure at least one of those guys is just on the ice at all times so there's never a drop off in terms of talent and excitement but yeah seeing them play off each other would be pretty cool and um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast i've never watched bedard live yet so it's gonna be a first experience for me i think same for you right oh i'm i'm pumped yeah. to get some live viewing in on uh, on the generational shooter from Lynn Valley. Let's go. Mm. Let's go. Um all right, let's let's ask you a Bo Horvat trade question because at this point we've reached a point like the PDO reports a great idea to preview the Canucks upcoming slate and yet right now it just doesn't feel like the games are front burner. Well, it's yeah. also tough with the teams that got playing coming up, right? Because, like, we know Colorado, we, we know, know Edmonton, Edmonton, we know and Seattle. And then it's, like, Chicago and Columbus. Like, meh. Great. Yeah. 
let's hey, talk those about are the, the rivals. Let's those talk about the, the third rivals. pair on Chicago. What are they doing? No, let's not. What, what what should the Canucks be looking for in your view, Dimitri, in a potential return for Bo Horvat? Uh, certainly not young roster players. I I I, I cannot express how bad. How do you define young? <laughs> like anyone that's you know close to or already playing on a second NHL contract. I you need to like it, it limits your ceiling so much in terms of future upside when you're getting these players who are already 23, 24, 25 years old because we know that NHL peaks are typically most productive offensive seasons are somewhere in that 22 to 26 range, generally in the middle of it. And that's where the meat of it is. And so if you're getting these guys that are already at that age, and then you're also going to have to pay them at some point in the near future as well, accordingly, I just don't understand why that would be the motivation other than not being willing to do the right thing and take the long, long view here and trying to kind of fast track that process. And I think that, and I think I'm, I know you're in agreement with this is, is a massive mistake on this organization's part. It's also just kind of odd because, you know, you're trading a guy who, look, whatever you think about Bo Horvat, the player, he's been such a key player for them. You know, you're almost, if you're if you're trading that type of player, you're almost kind of by default in a rebuild. And yet, not only do you have to find a way to improve the team from what it is currently with Bo Horvat, if you're right. going to compete in the next two or three years, you've got to make up for his loss and then also try to, uh, improve the team beyond that. It just seems like such an incredibly difficult, not that it's necessarily impossible, but man, the probability of nailing it seems so low. Well, and I, w- I would say, you know, for the most part, if you think a lot of these trade suitors are potential packages, it's like, all right, we're trading with a Colorado or a Carolina or even a Minnesota. And these are generally pretty smart organizations who I think have a good feel for their own personnel. And so it's like, if one of these teams is coming to you and saying like, oh, well, we'll trade you this twenty-three-year-old. No, mm-hmm. don't nothing to see, nothing to worry about here. We uh, we think he's great. We just rather you have him instead. Like I would instantly have my eyebrow raised on what the motivations were or why they were so willing to make that move. I think a guy like Alexis Lafreniere, for example, is an entirely different category, both in terms of upside and also my skepticism on on the Rangers' developmental model. Sure. So I, I think that's like a different conversation. But for the most part, a lot of these packages that involve the Hurricanes or or the Avalanche. I'd be highly skeptical in terms of the young players I was getting back. I'd much rather draft picks from those teams, even if they're not going to be premium ones, because we expect them to be good in, in the years to come. Well, and the other problem is, you know, we're talking about the age of the players. The thing is, like, I look what Matt Boldy got in Minnesota, right? Like, he got a long-term extension at 21 because he's shown that he has the potential to move the needle for them, right? And so it's not, for me, it's not so much that, like, a 23-year-old is quote-unquote too old. It's just that if the 23-year-old has shown real impact potential, the team's going to sign them. They're not going to trade them. The team's already locked them up to a long-term contract, and they're not moving that guy. So the guys in that age range that are on the block just kind of inherently have a much lower ceiling than somebody younger than that yeah yeah although i will say yeah 23 is a bit too old for me <laughs> leo dicaprio over yeah. here Jimmy Page. <laughs> no but okay like if we're, if we're playing this out when can we realistically expect this canucks team if they're making these types of trades to be legitimately in contention i i, I would posit it's going to be at least a couple of years and at that point 23 kind of is old because then all of a sudden you're getting to that range where all right well, even if this guy totally hits and pans out and is awesome, he'll be 27, 28 years old at that point. Like I, That's why I'm much more intrigued in the unknown of a draft pick or a prospect who hasn't played in the league yet because you give yourself more runaway for them to develop and kind of nail the timing on their peak seasons. Well, you, you bring up a really interesting point because one debate 
one sticking point, one thing that makes the rebuild conversation controversial in this market, right? Like very few people argue at this point with me, for example, when I say things like the Canucks need to tear down this team. People are like, yeah, change this team. Right. But then I say, and that should include being willing to at least hear people out on Patterson and Hughes and people, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa buddy. Right. Elias Pettersson's 24. Quinn Hughes is 23. If you're if you're putting this optimal Canucks rebuild three years in the future, we're talking about a 27 and a 26-year-old player. I mean, you're getting close to the point where they might not be the best players on the next great Canucks team because of the waste that we've seen from this organization over the last three years. How do you view the young talent that the Canucks have and whether or not they can be sort of the faces of the franchise should the club commit to a new direction. Yeah, well, I think in Pedersen's case in particular, like his talent level and what he's already shown, particularly this season, where I think if the Canucks were better, he'd be garnering legitimate MVP buzz, is has has convinced me enough that like, yeah, this is this is the face of the franchise. This is the building block. This is someone who you surround with talent moving forward and you orchestrate this everything around him. Yes. Now, here's the problem. So he's due for that extension, or he's eligible to start getting it. We're yep. talking about it this summer, right? Yep. If you get a feeling that he's hesitant or unwilling or there's potential issues looming, you kind of have to make the move now because you can't risk getting into next season and being like, all right, well, let's hope that next year is better and everything around him is better and that'll convince him to stay because I don't think it will be regardless of who the coach is or what you do this offseason. Like, I think this is a slow burn. This is going to take some time. And so if he's unhappy with the situation right now, I don't think it's going to get significantly better next season. So, like, yes, if you can lock him in and, and make sure you have him for the rest of his good NHL seasons, I'm all for it. If you, for every reason, sense kind of, skepticism or unwillingness on his part you need to at least start entertaining that question and seeing what you can get because you don't want to get into that situation where with each passing day he gets more leverage and you lose leverage in terms of him as an asset and what you can get for him in return yeah i mean i think there's a when we're talking about rebuilding and like how deep should the cuts go and everything like that i mean i think there's a tipping point where the talent of the player just becomes too much to ignore and you have to prioritize keeping them if possible, right? And like as opposed to say Andre Kuzmenko where really nice player, really good player, but he's never going to impact the game in a way that Elias Pettersson does. To me, that's the type of player that, hey, maybe it hurts to lose, but you have to have confidence that, you know, in three, four years when you're ready to compete, you'll be able to replace that player. Elias Pettersson is just so much above that that it's so hard to replace Elias Pettersson. I think even if you are staring at more of a long-term project, you're going to have to be – you you want to find a way to hold on to him if at all possible. Well, and also with his particular skill set, I know this is projecting way ahead and, like, health permitting and all that. Like, I think he's going to age remarkably well at the NHL level. Like, I, I could – like, he's going to have rem- fantastic two-way impacts into his 30s. So it's, like, not one of those things where there's a guy who entirely relies on his speed or, or strength or anything like that, and you're like, all right – it's great now, but what's it going to look like when he gets a bit older and loses a step? Like this is a guy who I'm I'm fully comfortable like investing in and, and betting on for the rest of his career. So I think that factors into this as well in terms of confidence on like him being the guy that you want to keep around. Hey, Dimitri, I know we got uh, a little off track from what we normally do, but uh, always appreciate chatting with you, man. Have a great weekend. Absolutely, you guys as well, man. That it's is. it's fun to go off the rails sometimes. Yeah, no, of course. That is Dimitri Filipovich. Uh, you'll hear him coming up on the PDO. 
cast across the Sportsnet radio network. Well, yeah, I mean, like we we have Dimitri in a certain uh, in a certain niche on our show, but he's a smart guy. He can go anywhere. As you can as go you, anywhere, as, of course. As you heard, he did a full PDO cast on the Canucks, so he's all well versed and up to speed on everything going on uh, with them right now. Uh, Keith texts in: Is there any world where Horvat gets paired with a large cap dump like OEL? No, no, that's not just, in season. It's just too hard to do it in I mean, season. We're talking about is a Bo Horvat singular, just him trade being held up because of cap reasons. Before we even get into add another seven point two million on top of that with Oliver Ekman Larson, so too complicated. It, it's just there's no way you're going to do that. Not to mention but, the whole no move clause. But you want to you want to try and free up money. Raw futures, like if you want to make the moves that can help you free up money in the summer. Raw futures. Well, that's the other thing. Accumulate picks, and then you can, and then, and then when you trade the second to get off the guy you don't want anymore, it's not harmful the way it was when they did it for Dickinson. Accumulate picks so you have weaponry and avenues to improve this team and do everything with 2025, 2026 in mind. Absolutely everything. And and Dimitri makes a really interesting point there about Elias Pettersson, right? Like, that's the whole ball game now. And we hear that a lot when people are discussing things like Kuzmenko and, and on and on. But, like, you need to sell him a vision. There's an audience of one here. And don't you think that plays into the kind of constant drumbeat we've heard from people like Elliot Friedman about how much of a priority it is for them to sign oh, Elias Pettersson, how yeah. he's the only untouchable, Whatever. right? Whatever it takes. I mean, that's I think that's how the organization feels, but they backed themselves into this corner because they didn't believe in him when it mattered because they don't have cost certainty, right? Well, which is, I mean, which and is, even, and which even is that is not so, such a tough spot. I don't know if that was because they didn't believe him. Or, or no, was it was. It, or, but was it that or was it they didn't have the space to go long term? Wow, no, but they could. They, I mean, they, they easily could have. There was all sorts of different ways to handle it. Like fundamentally, the deal got done because the Canucks had a, you know, um, because Pedersen's camp agreed that they'd do a bridge. They wanted more years. Now, did they want eight max term? No, but they wanted more years originally. They bent. Pedersen's camp bent and did the bridge deal that's now going to, you know, be a subject of a fair bit of hand-wringing, as it should internally for the Canucks. Whatever it takes. There's an audience of one, and here's the problem, right? You don't think Pedersen's forgotten more about hockey than you or I know? Like, look at at how he sees the game. You you think you're going to be able to sell that guy? The guy with the supercomputer in his head? Who sees the ice better than just about, better than just about every other human being on the planet, save for maybe like two or three guys? And even there, arguably, <laughs> you know, you you think you think he doesn't know the score here? It's, it's going to be a really tricky sell for the Canucks. It's going to be a fascinating situation to cover and watch unfold. Thank you for listening. It is Canucks game day. You'll be able to hear it here on Sportsnet 650. That's going to do it for us. Could be an eventful weekend. In any event, we will be back on Monday to break it all down. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting in. As mentioned, the PDO cast with our guy Dmitry Filipovich is coming up next. You've got it on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.